This is Dr. Ed Schmidt. I am a, a professor of history at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And when I have some free time and I want to learn some things and go looking for a podcast, my choice is the One Mike, One Voice show with Michael and DT. It's the best way to spend your time. Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show, building the collective conscious, a show that is created to give space where your voice, ideas and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated and debated. I am Michael Eric Owen. And I'm DT, and this is the One Mic, One Voice podcast. Man, it's, it's great to be back in the studio. As always. As always, man. It's a, a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot of stuff going on, man. But today we're going to focus in on Dick Gregory. We, we lost a, a great icon um, and uh, civil rights activist and um, comedian. And so it's, uh, man, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those times where we, we truly want to reflect on um, a life well lived. You know, we were actually anticipating having uh, Dick Gregory visit Oklahoma City and potentially maybe having him on our show. So um, definitely a big shout out to his life and legacy. Uh, unfortunately, he had to go so soon. And... Uh, we highlighting this high uh, this hero today, and you know, and you you did you mentioned it right? He was supposed to be here in Oklahoma City, in um, in October, and we were really looking forward to having him. But folks, joining us today on the One Mic One Voice Show, I'm so excited uh, to have in the studio with us Dr. Ed Schmidt, Associate Professor of History at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, my alma mater. And uh, Dr. Schmidt teaches courses um, in uh, U.S. history, African-American history, race and ethnicity, um, in American history, poverty in the U.S., uh, Wisconsin history. Oh, he is a busy, busy professor. And I can tell you, he's a good professor as well. He's also the author of President of the Other America, Robert Kennedy, and the Politics of Poverty. Welcome to the show, Doc. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. Thank you for having me on to talk with you in DT, and it's just always good to talk uh, with you. Well, we're excited to, to, to have you on, and, and we're, we're, we're going to see you here in, uh, in a few weeks, probably, about four weeks. We're going to be down there visiting uh, at Parkside and spending time with you and the students, so we're, we're extremely excited about that. Yeah, very excited to see the, the work that you guys do at close range. And uh, everyone around here, I think, is really going to be um, excited to welcome you. I'll make sure of that. All right. <laughs> That's we, right. We appreciate that. And so, you know, you, you, you've started this journey um, with Dick Gregory. And uh, I, have to, I have to, first of all, admit that I'm just a complete envious of you to have uh, spent some time with him and to get to know him. But but w w why did you decide to uh, do your research on uh, Mr. Gregory? Yeah, it's it, it's been a long road for me. And I guess before I start, I, I, I just want to um, say I'm sorry for for you guys that you aren't going to have the opportunity to, to you know possibly have him in studio because uh, being in the room with him is it was uh, incredible experience, once in a lifetime experience for me. Uh, great question. <laughs> that you know, they would always tell us when I was in grad school that you know you have a good project if it, um, if you kind of pick up some other ideas for future projects as you go. And at the end of my researching um, things for my first book, I was looking at African American newspapers in the early 60s. And I kept seeing all these stories about Dick Gregory. And I, I knew 
you know, how significant he was as basically the the first um, stand-up comedian to break the color line, kind of the Jackie Robinson of, of stand-up comedy. Uh, and I knew that he, he eventually started becoming part of the civil rights movement, but I didn't, I had no idea kind of how omnipresent he was until I started looking at uh, black newspapers from across the country. And all of them, you know, they followed his every move. And there were a lot of moves to follow because he was on the ground joining demonstrations, raising funds um, for the movement, getting arrested, um, putting himself in harm's way. And the the, the obvious pride um, that came through in the way that African-American newspapers wrote about him just was, was, was really powerful to me. So I started setting these articles aside and then thought, I need to come back to this. And, and when I did, I found that there had not really been anything academic um, published about him. And I was sort of awestruck by how that hadn't happened and saw an opportunity to, to go forward. And uh, that's where the trail started. And uh, it's it's been going on for a few years, and it's been endlessly fascinating and writing about him. Wow. And um, and he spent some time in Milwaukee, I, I, was, I recall that, uh, during the 1960s. And yeah, he did. You know, interesting. I don't. I haven't run across stand-up shows that he did in, in Milwaukee. But 50 years ago, celebrating the 50th anniversary of some difficult events, but also some um, pretty significant events um, when there were demonstrations for open housing in the city of Milwaukee. Dick Gregory came to support yeah. the work that was going on here. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I, you know, when I was reading something about that, I, I wondered what type of relationship did he have with father Grappi? i mean was it a close relationship or because i've seen photos yeah. of them together yeah yeah i mean so many people kind of came in and out of his life because he was um you know in and out of all of the the um different campaigns that he was part of but he uh he spoke very fondly about father Grappi, mm. um and, and just how completely committed he was um, you know, to to the African American community and to to equality in the city, and and he joked actually the last time I talked to him, he said, if there was anyone from that church in the city that was going to be going into heaven, it was going to be oh. it was going to be him. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we we are um, we're going to take a break here, and um, yeah, we're going to take a break here, and and we're going to come back, and we're going to. I mean, I, I want to dig deep into uh, Mr. Gregory's life uh, again. Uh, such a great legend, but folks, we're going to take a break, and we will be right back. This is Richard Taplin, host of Blackest Studios, The Black Box. Join Elijah Belly and myself as we interview entrepreneurs as they share their stories of passion and how it motivates them to strive forward. We also explore new topics on self improvement. If you want to listen to our show, simply search Black and Studios on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, or Stitcher. And be sure to follow us at Black and Studios on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want to catch all the shows that record here at Black and Studios, simply go to the website, blackandstudios.com. And remember, it's Black and This is Josh K. And I am Leah Marie. And when we listen to podcasts, we always listen to One Mic, One Voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. Your choice. All right, welcome back, folks. Welcome um, back. Listen. Dick Gregory, I believe he started off as a, a humorist, a, a, a um, comedian. And this, this is a clip, so I want you to listen to this clip, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back and, and talk about it. I just moved into an all-white neighborhood not too long ago in Chicago, and I didn't have no problems when I moved in because the neighbors that lived on each side of me, they were like out of the country. They were over in London on vacation having a ball. Just saying, in America, the beautiful, going home, going. They only knew what they was coming home to. 
So we got about 11 inches of snow in Chicago, and I grabbed my shovel, went out, started cleaning the snow off my new front, and my neighbors pulled up. She jumped out the car and rushed up to me. She said, hey, boy. She said, you're really doing a wonderful job on these people's front. If you only knew. She said, yep, I've been living next door here for the last 50 years, and I've never seen this place looking this good in the wintertime. What do you get for doing that? I said, oh, I get to sleep with that woman inside. Then I walked up to her husband and said, hey, baby, you want me to do yours next? He said, no. (laughs) Oh, wow, wow, wow. And that's that's, uh, Dick Gregory talking about... uh, his uh, experience uh, joke about being in Chicago uh, during the winter time, and <laughs> and and so uh, Doc, did he did he always infuse uh, race into his comedy? You know, it's um, it's pretty fascinating, and, and he wrote about this in his first autobiography. He really studied kind of how how he was going to make this transition to to white audiences, and he. He actually kind of worked out formulas early on, you know, how many jokes he would have that were that really cut across, you know, jokes about the Cold War and Kennedy and Khrushchev and stuff that, that really was not um, about race in any way. Um, but really, that was, that was the heart of um, of his humor was, you know, poking fun at the absurdity and really the injustice, obviously, of of the the inequality in the country, and so it was really, you know, it, it's hard to imagine now. Although, unfortunately, in some ways, maybe we're getting a little bit uh, in, in a situation where we can imagine it yeah. when we should be beyond, right. beyond it. But but how polarized the country was. Mm. Um, to think about how artful you had to be to raise these issues with, mm. you know, a, a white audience and. Um, he just he uh, he had a gift for reading audiences and, and he had studied other comedians and so um, he kind of he, he sort of emerged at just the right time also um, when you know there'd been enough momentum in the movement that people had a sense that change was underway and and they were trying to wrap their mind around it and laughing about it was you know probably the the most comfortable way to enter into a really uncomfortable subject. And uh, so that was his great gift and, and led to just spectacular success for him. And because he was the first um, black comedian to um, perform in, in front of a, a mostly white audience. Is exactly. That yeah, it, it is. And, uh, and you know, what he, what he would say is I was just basically the first one who was given the opportunity. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so his breakthrough uh, moment really um, uh, on the nightclub circuit was at the old Playboy Club in Chicago and Hugh Hefner mm. um, needs someone to fill in. And, uh, and he'd actually gone and seen him at one of the African-American clubs mm. and knew how funny he was. And uh, he, he killed it that first night. And then word spread like wildfire, and pretty soon he was on The Tonight Show. And then, mm. you know, he pretty much didn't take a vacation for, for a year <laughs> because everybody wanted him. Yeah, yeah. And he, he had pretty, we would say, humble beginnings, um, I would say, to go from... I believe he, you know, he grew up basically in object poverty. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yeah, in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, it's kind of this classic American tale of you know rising from from poverty um, to to success. But the the twist is, you know, he he was appreciative of that, but he also then is going to dedicate you know, the, really the rest of his life to pointing out that, you know, this is not possible for everybody. I, you know, I may have had some talent and some opportunities, but um, there's, there's, there are too many uh, hurdles yeah. for, for too many people. And, um, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I want to just spend a, a moment here just, just, just talking about you being with him and you spending time with him. Can you just like, 
break that down for us because I, you know, I always throw a plug in for myself because I had a magical, I would say a magical night with Dr. Gates, (laughs) (laughs) which, which always stands out uh, as being a great moment for me. But if you could just talk about those experiences, like how how did you feel like the first time you were actually going to meet Dick Gregory? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I was nervous. I was really nervous. (laughs) And not not only because I had, you know, this is something I've been studying at Mm. close range for five years, Mm. but um, I know you and I, talk, Michael, mm-hmm. um, and DT, maybe you've seen some of the video of uh, interviews with Dick Gregory. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he, he has very little patience for some interviews. Oh, and yes. so oh, yes. I, I, uh, I was nervous about that, but really what was wonderful is I shared that with his son, who um, has been just, you know, none of this would have happened if, if I didn't um, sort of have the cooperation of, of, um, of him and, and his mm-hmm. family, and um, he just reassured me that you know that usually the those kinds of situations, um, you know, were relatively rare. And it was when when interviewers would um, sort of start out confrontationally and try to to be challenging him, and uh, he just didn't have patience yeah, for that at this yeah. point in his life with everything that he has been through. And absolutely. And uh, so I I, um, I was more than happy to 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 just. Um, just listen, really. And um, so uh, the, the first day that I spent with him was just wonderful. And, uh, you know, he he said over and over, you know, I, I, you got me. Whatever time that you need, whatever question you want answered, um, you know, I, I'm happy to do it. One of the, the most powerful moments um, when I talked with him uh, happened that first day. I actually had been – I'd never done any – family history research. I don't know if either of you guys have ever done any genealogy or gone mm-hmm. on ancestry.com. Yeah. Um, but it was new to me and, mm-hmm. but I was able to, to actually find his father's world war one draft registration hmm. record. Wow. And I brought that with, yeah, it had a physical description of him and everything. And he was just kind of floored by that. Wow. Um, so, um, kind of like an icebreaker. That kind of, it was yeah. I think that kind of was a moment where he 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 sort of understood that I had been serious about this and yeah. that I was going to go about this in a you know a real thorough thorough way. Um, but he was, I mean, he was just so funny, and he also you know he had that long white beard. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the room with him, he he, he did not he was not old. Okay. <laughs> he um he just had this vitality to him mm-hmm. that was pretty remarkable and he you know weave between talking about the past and talking about what's going on in the world now kind of making those connections mm-hmm. and just sort of wisdom that yeah. he had about life that uh he he sprinkled in too so um yeah it was it was quite an experience and you 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 talk about uh when we we had a brief conversation you were talking about um riding with him in the car and and could you, yeah. could you just, can you just kind of tell that story yeah yeah so this was the the last time I was with him just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I I um, was at the tail end of a cold, and I had a little bit of a cough, and uh, he and his son, um, his oldest son Greg, were giving me a ride back to the hotel, and um, he, he said, "Pull over up here, I'm going to get something for, for him for his cough." So, so they stopped at Whole Foods, and and Dick Gregory, uh, age 84, <laughs> went into Whole Foods and and came out with a. Uh, some eucalyptus drops for me for my cough mm. and uh, showed me how to inhale it and and everything and it helped and wow. and I just sort of shook my head <laughs> after yeah. I got back in my hotel room and here's this health guru yeah. you know legend who mm. was you know had that level of kind of personal mm. kindness and humanity to 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 make that kind of stop and he, and he was tired I knew he was um, you know he, he was dealing with a little bit of an illness mm-hmm. and uh, so it, I mean it just was another one of these just head head shaking moments as I look back at it. You know, I just, uh, again, I mean, you know, you could never imagine <laughs> in your life that you would be in the car with Dick Gregory, stopping right? at a Whole Foods, him going in, buying you something, you know, I mean, oh, I know. it's just amazing that, uh, that, that things like that happen. And uh, it just speaks to me. It speaks to his humility and just his care uh, for those those around him, and yeah, uh, yeah. 
you know, and like you say, we 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 can look at some of the the older videos and uh, you know his lack of uh, patience in there. It but seemed like that sh- that fuse got shorter, you know, here recently <laughs> yeah, because I mean, at some it point it felt like he was going off on anybody. I mean, yeah, because I yeah. mean, one of the things, and like you said, is that you took the time to sit down and listen, and that was one of the arguments, I guess, is what started for most people. He was like, "Man, are you listening? Yeah, right. Are you paying attention? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you know, just get to going off on you." But uh, right, I mean, right. I think having that openness and dealing with somebody who's so knowledgeable and been through uh, so many aspects of life, it's just you have to be a student. You have to just be able to sit down and listen because that person have a lot to offer, a lot to share. And yeah. um, so I'm, I'm glad in your experience that you were able to evade uh, most of that attitude. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he was yeah. not and, shy and about it. Right, right. In some ways, I kind of feel like I missed out. <laughs> because even, even, even his me. son... Right, even his son Christian said, you know, we've all, we've all been on the other end. But the other thing is, I mean, you, you watch those interviews, it, you know, it's not in no way personal. And, and sort of, the, you know, he, he got angry, but then he wanted to get back, let's talk about, right, right. you know, it, it was not, you know, he didn't leave with any sort of ill feeling about anyone. It's just, let's get to what's really meaningful here, you know, and, and cut through, you know, whatever you're trying to, to do with the questions that you're asking. He did threaten to just get up and walk out of there a few times. Man, don't <laughs> need to leave here. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's here? It, you know, if he didn't see any promise there, I guess mm. you, you well, know, sometimes you just got to cut it. Well, and I mean, I mean, he, he, I mean, everything that he accomplished, sacrifice, gave i mean he he had the right to do mm-hmm. just about anything that he wanted yeah. to do and i think yeah, that yeah. Uh, being able to spend time with him you know how 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 did that how did that impact you just just you walking away from that um how did it how how did it change you because it had to have changed you yeah you know, i think i'm still i'm going to be wrapping my mind around that for for some time you know i um when I first was was corresponding with um, his son, Dr. Christian Gregory, about it, and then we got got our kind of the first interview set up. I mean, um, I, I forget how I ha- had a, kind of approached it, um, but basically, you know, I just try, I'm going to try to be as fair about how I write this book and and uh, um, you know as thorough as possible. And maybe this is after the interviews and and just kind of how impressed I was by him. And, um, and we t- were kind of talking a little about being objective and, and that's what they wanted, you know, tell, to get to the facts and tell, tell the story. Um, but it, it, the reality is no historian can be completely objective. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, all, we're all influenced by mm-hmm. things that we find interesting, things that we care about and that sort of thing. And, and uh, so his son said, I forget exactly how he worded it. Basically, it may be a little bit difficult to, to remain completely objective with regard to my dad, but that might not be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I think, I think that, um, you know, I'm going to have to be sorting through the, the kind of the, just the personal experiences and how I fit that into the big picture. But I think I also have to embrace the fact and, and be honest about the fact that, you know, I chose this topic because I already went into it with a, you know, a huge measure of respect for this individual. But then I also had these personal experiences that were, um, you know, really powerful and shape how I, how I understand, um, you know, the way he thought and why he did things. Absolutely. I believe we have a comment. Uh, hey, Dr. Schmidt, one of our uh, listeners has a question. She said, did Mr. Gregory express his views on the current issue of white supremacy today? Well, I think, you know, he didn't. The last time I talked with him, he we didn't get into to that. You know, specifically what had been going on in Charlottesville and and, and even uh, with, with uh, kind of the political climate. But I think for him, he he. I don't think. I mean, he definitely saw how much progress had been made by the movement. A tremendous amount of progress. But I, I don't. He, he was never convinced that the you know the issue of white supremacy. And and a large percentage of the population, you know, believing in that and clinging to that had gone away. It's more a question of kind of degree, and, and when it sort of has a uh, opportunity to rear its head, and not be tamped down by by um, you know social or political pressure. Uh, I, 
yeah, I think I, that's my take on what how he and, and what he said recently, not even just personally to me, is that you know this we just have never solved the problem really, and, and uh, it, this is a you know an ugly several months here of uh, well years really of, of of it kind of rearing its head again, but um, we still have an awful lot of work to do. I think within the, the understanding that that he had about it. Yeah, yeah, he was he was not. Uh, you know, he he was not shy in uh in, in sharing all. his uh his views and his concerns um since um you know he, he had a microphone in his face and so I think um it's yeah. a great question and um you know and, and what's so what what sticks out to me is that we lose these great voices in such a time as this that they are so desperately needed. Right. I mean, we, we are we are in a in a moment in our history where um, I mean, the the inability to uh, recognize truth <laughs> for what it is. And uh, I think is is just ripping at the fabric of our country and um, and and losing an icon like that, I think, uh, makes the task even more difficult. Um, yeah. And, and 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 you know and and he he was so great because he he lived so long and and you know he saw so much and he was able to you know really put things in perspective that um and that view is is hard to come by uh, even today and you being a historian yourself doc you you know how how um you know one one needs to understand the past in order yeah. to, uh, you know, in order to operate within the present. And uh, we have such a disconnect between, right. you know, as you said, it, you know, it, the problem is never solved, right? So, right, right. <laughs> um, right. But, uh, but listen, uh, man, we, we, we're having a great conversation with Dr. Schmidt. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get into his activism because this is, uh, you know, his humor was, was amazing, but this is where he put in the work at. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we want to get, get into that. We have a clip that we're going to, that, you know, you're going to hear directly from him. And then we're going to talk about that, but we'll be folks hang in there. We'll be right back. Hey, this is your boy frog. I'm here with Chris, Justin and Philip. We host Turn on the Game, the podcast. The show consists of four men commentating on the sports world. It's strictly opinion shows as if you were sitting on the couch watching a game with your boys. And you can follow us on Twitter at TurnOnThe underscore game. You can hit us up on our Facebook page at TurnOnTheGame. And you can even follow us on Instagram at TurnOnTheGame. Or you can listen to us on Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher by searching Turn On The Game. You can email us at TurnOnTheGame, the number four, at gmail.com. Turn On The Game is sponsored by Blackened Studios, Oklahoma City's premier podcasting studio. Turn On. This is Koresh Ali, Lansana, poet, author, educator, and Oklahoma. And when I listen to podcasts, I'm on that one mic, one voice joint. All right. Welcome back, folks. We have with us Dr. Smith, the historian at my alma mater, the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Parkside was good to me. I'm just gonna be honest, man. I, I'm I, glad hey, to hear that. <laughs> I, uh, I, man, it, you know, and I often tell DT about the experience I had when I um, interned with, um, with with Senator Feingold's campaign, and uh, the gentleman that I interned with that was in charge, he was from Yale, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he was yeah, he was from Yale, and educational be down. <laughs> <laughs> every, every Doctor Smith, every every day I was handing him, <laughs> I was I was handing it to him every day, and at the end he said to me, he said, "I envy your education." He said, "I don't, I didn't know any of my professors." And I talked about you, talked about Doctor Jalad, talked about Pezzy Jane. He said, "I didn't, I didn't know any of my professors," and so that that really spoke to me about the quality of education I had received, and also the the um the relationships that I, I have built. But but we're going to be talking about that when I come back, when I come yeah, back yeah. home. <laughs> Most definitely we will. And we, we have this clip here. Uh, I just want to listen to um, what uh, Dick Gregory has to say, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. The word black power 
really have frightened white America simply because when they hear black power, they think of white power, and white power means napalm, tanks, uh, state police department, high finance, overthrowing governments. Black power do not mean this. It might mean it in Africa where they're in control, but not in America. All we're trying to do is take right and push wrong with it. I'm not only against the war in Vietnam, I'm against all wars. The Israeli war, if America decided to send troops into South Africa to liberate my black kinfolks, I'd be against that. I'm just against violence because you cannot solve problems with the gun. These white folks in Washington, D.C. can't be in a position to guide the faith and destiny of the whole world and not still realize that the number one problem that creates these problems is racism. That until we go in and expose the racism and say that we're going to sit down and cure these problems. But what we're trying to do is like if uh, you come to me and I'm a doctor and I examine you and find out you have cancer and I tell you you have a headache, I've lied to you and you're going to die because aspirins will not cure cancer. As, aspirins will not cure cancer, Man. and um, and in that in that clip he talks about you know I I, I guess I want to just kind of tap your 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 brain about uh, his connection because he talked about black power and we know how black power has got such a a negative uh, uh, connotation as well as um, there's some new scholarship out. Um, I guess it's Peniel Joseph that's writing some new stuff, and and uh, I wrote about black power in a, in a totally different way as well. But mm-hmm. but Dick, Dick Gregory's, um, you know, what, what have you seen? How he viewed the black power movement? Yeah, you know, it's it's a really interesting kind of um, part of where he sits within the movement mm. um, that that I'm I'm still kind of working through myself because. You know, I guess in the big picture, to, to really maybe oversimplify things, historically, um, kind of the two strategies that, that um, African Americans have um, used to, to try to, to make life better, uh, to, to try to achieve more equality, um, is either trying to change society to the point where integration and, and equal opportunity is possible, or self-determination as a focus, and sometimes it's called nationalism, um, basically focusing on your own community and, and putting your, your efforts there, because you don't really have trust that, you know, white society is going to change and things are going to get any better. And in some ways, I think he bridged both of those. I think he was sympathetic and understood the appeals uh, of folks who who thought, you know, we, we've given our best effort uh, to be nonviolent and to, to go about things uh, in a peaceful way, and, and progress still isn't, isn't coming fast enough. And so, he, you know, he was very friendly with um, Malcolm X and with, um, you know, people in the Black Panthers and, and other folks down the line who were kind of more along that self-determination track. And yet he personally was nonviolent, was very deeply influenced by Martin Luther King Jr., and, and still did have hope. Uh, for integration. And so I think he could see the merits of both of those approaches. And I think his primary role is, you know, was really, um, along with encouraging people who were in the movement by, by joining them, you know, literally in the street, but also by explaining to the rest of the country, and by that, I guess, primarily white people, why African Americans felt the way they did and, and what black power meant to them and why it was appealing. And you have to see this through our eyes. And, and so it's not really entirely different from what he did as a comedian. It was just much more direct um, at this stage of his his career and then his activism. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you, you, I, I tell people a lot of times that um, the civil rights, a nonviolent civil rights movement needed black power. Um, it it needed it it needed a uh, a, a complement to um, uh, what was happening externally, and Black Power focused internally, as you talked about within the community itself. But but even beyond that, Black Power spoke to the individual, the Black person, mm-hmm. about their mm-hmm. about their beauty, about their creativity, um, about mm-hmm. their self worth. 
and uh, and so I, I I think you can't you know a lot of people consider it a counter movement simply because based upon the violence right that they say was perpetrated, um, you know uh, by the hands of uh, you know folks that were in that movement. But I but I but I would say it it complemented um, the uh, nonviolent movement, and I think King himself like like Dick Gregory came to see the value of uh, many elements within um, the, the the black power movement itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, I think that's a really good insight. Yeah. And I, I uh, you know, it, because, it, you know, how do you thinking about this, you know, Dick Gregory, he, 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 he performed before white audiences. He was, he was widely accepted, but yet he was ex- he was very Afrocentric, right? Mm-hmm. And and That's I think right. and I think some people see that as a a militant kind of characteristic, right? You're you're always talking about black this and black that, um, but he was able to strike a balance. Did did he and his relationships? And and I don't know if you ran across this, but did he had a, a wide a diversity of relationships among people of different races? Amazingly why. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So at the personal level, you know, yeah, he he connected with people across the spectrum. And another, just this is kind of a side note, and we, we get so easily dragged into liberal and conservative mm. in any conversation these days, and, and that's one of the kind of the great tragedies of our public discourse right now he he well i think this is something that again struck a chord with a majority of americans i mean he he sort of thought that the political establishment was corrupt and and he never you know personally sort of associated himself with political leaders on one side of the spectrum or the other um so he had some friends that were, you know, would be considered politically conservative, politically liberal. He had friends across the racial spectrum. He um, got involved in the movements, uh, probably most prominently and earlier than other African Americans for other minority groups and for women. He went to jail in 1966 to support Native Americans um, in Washington State. Um, yeah, so a very broad array of, of friends um, uh, and allies um, across the spectrum. And I, I think we have another comment or question. Yeah, uh, one of our listeners asked, uh, says, the great Richard Pryor held Dick Gregory in the highest regards and said he paved the way. And uh, she's asking, uh, did Mr. Gregory feel he reached a wider audience through activism or through comedy? It's a great question. Yeah, it is a great question. Yeah, that's a, you know, I wonder... I wonder how he would answer that, because I think even kind of thinking about reaching an audience sort of makes us think about um, uh, how much positive attention you get as an entertainer. Um, I think, I don't know if he would be able to kind of quantify that, but I think he, he, he thought the impact that he made, the depth of, of the impact of what he did, what was there was no contest between, um, you know, the activism and and being on the stage, um, and he and he kind of left that behind really for for a large yeah. part of his adult life mm-hmm. in some ways. But he still kept speaking at college campuses. I, I got a copy of the schedule from the early seventies, and it is just you wonder how the guy survived because <laughs> he spoke at you know five universities a week, wow. and these were not like three schools in Chicago. He was going state to state to state, and so. He started to combine really kind of the the activism with his gifts as a speaker, mm-hmm. um, and he never he never entirely left comedy behind. I mean, he kind of started his talks on college campuses with jokes, mm-hmm. and so it, it helped. Um, he he still knew the value of that. Yeah, right. Um, I think I, I as, think as, you hear it. You hear that like ingrained in his message. You know, there's some some humor to it even though he's talking yeah. about these serious things. And I think, like Mike said earlier, you know, when he started to uh, trans, trans, transcend into the activism, you know, that's when he really started to come alive. Um, yeah. And I think that, that it kind of all those experiences kind of played into how he delivered the messages once he was able to, you know, combine the two things together. 
Right, right. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And um, so you you talked about the Native American, uh, you know, um, campaign he got involved. But what were some other things that w- were interesting? Because he was he was he was civil rights for for everyone. So what what kind of yeah. other things did he did he lend his 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 uh, his work and his name to? Yeah, great question. Uh, it's kind of a, sort of a list of the, the causes of social justice of the last 40 years, really, in many ways. I mean, he was very um, much involved in the anti-Vietnam War movement. He was at the very first big teach-in at, at University of California, Berkeley in 1965. He fasted, uh, um, drinking only liquids, um, in 1967 to protest uh, the Vietnam War and then would continue to fast for different um, causes for a couple of decades, really. Some some incredible things he put his body through mm. to draw kind of moral attention to to um, different causes. But, but certainly um, he was an anti-war activist. He became an anti-nuclear activist um, in the late 70s and beyond. The women's movement, he he um, appeared at um, you know many r- rallies and demonstrations and, and contributed there. Um, yeah, m- movements for for different minority groups um, across the spectrum. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving something out, <laughs> but you know, and, and even more broadly than um, come the early 1980s, you know, he's an international figure. Um, and had traveled abroad for for decades at that mm-hmm. point, but he was invited to come to Northern Ireland when there were um, protesters there conducting wow. hunger strikes. I don't know if you remember uh, the name Bobby Sands, who actually uh-huh. died from his yeah. hunger strike. Yeah, so he was invited over there mm-hmm. and and uh, was hoping to kind of give them some advice um, on fasting and, and lend his kind of support. Um, uh, so, yeah, really kind of across the spectrum there. And then in terms of nutrition, he really becomes an activist in um, on a topic that is so important and hot right now, what we eat, basically, and, and where it comes from and how, you know, corporate um, uh, quests for profits mm-hmm. um, really supersedes concern for um, biology oh, yeah. in, in many ways. And I, I want to pick back up on um, on the fasting aspect of it. Um, yeah. How 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 long of a fast did he actually uh, go on? Do you what was the longest one? Do you did you run across that or? Yeah, I I want to say I, I should know this, but I want to say that he it was a, upward of seventy days, uh, just a water fast. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. and and actually he had done in so many fasts. Well, I guess two, two, two things that are just, for me, I just scratched my head at. Basically, he went a, a period of over two years um, eating no solid food. He did drink um, wow. some fruit juices, um, but that was part of his, his um, protest to end the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. And then in uh, the early 80s, he actually kind of uh, submitted to some medical testing when he went on a fast to kind of study the effects uh, of fasting on the human body. And mm. so... He, he really became a professional. That guy was very scientific. Is, yeah, he was very yeah. scientific. Yeah, he became yeah. a professional faster. <laughs> professional faster. And you, you can't get much more countercultural than that either yeah, when you think yeah. about kind of our society. Absolutely. And and what, man, what what level of commitment? I mean, we we can't get people to, to, to come down and stand in front of the, the uh, you know, the state capitol uh, for longer than an hour uh, nowadays, right. and 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 Mr. Gregory is just all in and and all committed, and you know it's and again it goes back to our earlier conversation is that when you lose when you lose an icon like him, you lose so much more than just just a person, um, mm-hmm. and you know his his commitment. I just you know I just. I just shake my head because I, you know, um, I don't know many that um, would do that even today, right? Um, right. And that's wow. And 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 his, I mean, he he ran for president too. Right? <laughs> he did. Yeah, he ran for mayor of Chicago, and then he ran for for president. Yep. 
and he he got what well, he said he got well like a million votes or something like that. Is that what he yeah, said? Yeah, I think it was a little bit less than that. Okay. <laughs> a little bit less than that, but um, but enough. You know, it was a very very close election in 1968. Enough to you know potentially have made a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and very prominent. You know, people mm. knew he was running, so even even if he didn't get you know the kind of votes that mm. would have um, really challenged either of the main candidates, his voice was a presence in the campaign. And I, I guess I'm kind of, um, you know, kind of shocked by the fact because he seemed to be that the system was so broken and yeah. uh, and that his work was outside of the system, challenging the system and yeah. um, and that he would want to become part of the system. I think it's it's interesting in itself. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's. Because it's funny, I thought about this. There have been a number of kind of satirical presidential campaigns right. through the years. Um, and, if, you know, in recent cycles, there have been a number of them as well. Mm-hmm. But he was kind of in between sort of the gag, actually, um, George Burns' wife, uh, Gracie, ran for president in 1940. And, mm-hmm. kinda, and Pat Paulson in, in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Those are you know, really comedians yeah. trying to, to be funny. But his was was satirical to an extent, but it also was clearly serious about issues. And and uh, there's another clip that you, um, any listeners um, who are interested could find online. Uh, he uh, did a, a little press conference at Ball State University in 1968 where he talked about how the two-party system was failing the country. Mm. And uh, so basically he, he was had kind of that consistent message of, you know, this ain't working, and the people who are representing uh, those parties are, are are not representing us. So I'm going to give you an alternative. But but I don't think he really was measuring the curtains <laughs> in, yeah, the, right. in the Oval Office. <laughs> right, he, he knew right. that he didn't really have a great chance, but uh, <laughs> but he but he threw himself into it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, listen, we're going to take our last break. We got to pay some bills. Uh, looking at Elijah, and Elijah's like, you need to take a break. So we're going to go ahead and do that, folks, and we're going to wrap it up. I mean, we, we, I got something kind of funny to talk about when we get back with Dick Gregory. So hang in there. A couple we'll be, jokes? No, nah, I can't tell no jokes. Okay. Right. okay. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. I might try. You're funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be a yeah. time. So, folks, hang in there. We'll be right back. This is Elijah Bailey. This is Richard Taflin. From the Elijah Bailey Show, bringing you all the content that you could ever desire about anime, manga, comic books, martial arts, fitness, and more. You can find us at Elijah Bailey Show on the official Facebook page and also Elijah Bailey Show without the W on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure to follow, subscribe, like, comment, and rate on iTunes and Podbean. This is DT of the One Mic, One Voice podcast. just want to let you guys know you can go over to iTunes and search us at One Mic, One Voice and be sure to rate and review our episodes. Let us know about any feedback that you have and what you enjoy about the episodes. Also, you can go over to Stitcher where you can get the latest and freshest episodes of our podcast. Stream directly to your smartphone or iPad. No downloading or syncing. How cool. Real smooth. Also, we'd just like to take the time to thank you for your time and for your energy and for spending time with us as we discuss the historical record of our time. All right. Welcome back, folks. We have Dr. Smith uh, with us here. Uh, We've been having a great conversation about the life of Dick Gregory. And, And did you know, DT, that Dick Gregory was in a commercial for, I did uh, know that. You didn't know I that. I did know for, that. KD uh, for KD right. shoes. Right. He even said so, something too, right? He was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He said, "Yeah, yeah." He oh. said quite a bit. So, so Doc, talk about how did how did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a great story. I um I got to talk to um the he's retired now, but um uh, Nike executive um, Mark Tomshaw who. He negotiated basically, I get or, or kind of handled, I guess, the all the Nike ad campaigns through the '80s involving Michael Jordan, all the big ones, really. And um, he said that um, they had idea for um, for the Kevin Durant um, shoe line coming out that they wanted to have kind of this sage um, wisdom figure um, who was going to be pronouncing that um, that 
Kevin Durant was not the best because mm-hmm. they didn't think at that point three years ago that they you know people would be buying that when LeBron yeah. was still yeah. kind of un, unchallenged. But who's the baddest? Mm-hmm. And so that the whole campaign <laughs> was kind of revolving around that. And so they they thought you know what we're going to ask Dick Gregory and completely expect to get shut down because <laughs> you think about Nike its place kind of among the the visible corporations mm-hmm. in the country and and Dick Gregory probably the most anti-corporate yeah. public figure, <laughs> aside from maybe Ralph Nader and uh, uh, that was yeah. still around. Yeah. And um, so they called, and, and um, he said, basically in no uncertain terms, that he wasn't going to be um, joining that campaign. But apparently, um, uh, well, a couple a couple uh, things went into it, but one of, one of the deciding factors is that one of his grandsons mm-hmm. loves Kevin Durant, <laughs> and uh, and so that kind of got him considering it, and, and then he also learned that Kevin Durant, you know, was pretty socially conscious, mm. and that um, you know he was the kind of figure who was you know would would be likely to use his celebrity power to to um, speak out about issues, mm. and so kind of the combination of factors led him to to doing it. But he he said under no uncertain terms that he wasn't going to get paid for it mm. and so we basically did it for um for a dollar oh, wow. and uh so, that, so that's the story behind how mm. how he became part of it wow for a dollar he did it wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i think there was actually like uh because of um screen actors guild um union rules they had to pay him something so, <laughs> right. so that's the way that it worked wow he he, he still stuck to principle even, even, yeah. there. but, but you know, hey, what, what I, you know, I'm not a grandparent, but what I, what I hear, your grandkids can get you to do about anything. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, right. that's right. You know why? You know, I wish they would have had him like, you know, just gave him a ball and had him like dunk or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That, that 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 would have been hilarious. I mean, yeah, it, he he had such a rich life, and he. um I mean, he touched so many different areas um, of not just United States, but uh, across the globe. And um, I mean, you're writing this 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 book about him, and um, I want I, I want to know what what do you know? And I and I know you you you're still uh, you know going through things and 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 synthesizing the material and so forth, but. But what 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 would you want someone to get out of the book? Like, what what would be some themes that you would think of? Wow. Well, uh, the historian in me, uh, just like you, Michael, you're trained as a historian. Too. You know, you kind of pull back and think about the big picture of you know why does this matter? And mm. and I guess two things for me come to mind. I mean. After World War II, so much changed in the United States. So much was still, you know, needed to be changed. But, but um, two things that are going on that are huge on on the home front are um, kind of the the um, greater access to wealth and kind of consumer society in the in the country, and that leads to this kind of explosion of popular culture and television and. And that changes our lives. It affects advertising, affects our expectations on what the good life is in this country. And he is a really pivotal figure in the history of popular culture. As you know, um, comedy is a big piece of that, and, and he breaks the color line um, there. And then what he, he does with that is he joins one of the other huge themes uh, of post-war American history is that amidst all this prosperity, there are people who are left out and who have been left out. And he throws himself into telling that story, um, sometimes with his body, uh, you know, and, and walking away from, from um, a, a, you know, a career that people dream about. One of the things that, that he, he said it in a much you know, more um, concise way, but basically, you know, kind of everybody respects somebody that can kind of not let money have power over them. And he walked away from a lot of money uh, and gave up and gave away a lot of money. Yeah. And so the, the sacrifices that he made um, are, are pretty uh, breathtaking. Wow. Wow. 
And you you know what? I, I Again, I just appreciate you and the work that you're doing to highlight Mr. Gregory because he, he's worthy of exploration and he, he's, he's worthy of his legacy being kept alive because I think there's so much that we can, we can con- continue to learn uh, from him. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to the book. So I'm, I'm not going to put pressure on you and, and, and say, tell us when it's coming out. I mean, but he is. <laughs> but we, I feel it, though. I mean, it's a good pressure. That's all right. <laughs> right, right. But we know it's coming. And uh, matter of fact, we're going to have you back on. Uh, well, we're going to have you back on before that. But we uh, definitely want to have you come back on and talk about the book and and kind of share your conclusions on everything. And because and, you, got, you, got you got a lot of stuff to to kind of uh, balance in there and uh, and deal with. So, um, but I, I I know you are more than capable of doing it, and and I just appreciate you being here with us um, on one mic one voice. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I appreciate what you guys do. I mean, what you know that's one of the things Dick Gregory came back to two people at and maybe you've seen these interviews where they ask him about athletes and entertainers. <laughs> Yeah. That, that's not where the power is. The yeah. power is communicating yeah. with people, and that's what you guys do. Well, thank you so much, and, and you, we, we want you to hang on the line, but but stay with us. And, and folks, we, we've been looking at the life of Dick Gregory. And, and, you know, if this doesn't motivate you, then I don't <laughs> – then, then I don't I don't know what will because uh, at the end of the day when we look at our own lives, I mean we we, we should be able to look back over it with uh, a sense of uh, commitment and fulfillment uh, because we, we got to be at this thing each and every day because as I always say, history will speak of us somewhere. In the future, Scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time. And what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that we, we out, out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solve nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes, history will speak of us. All we gotta do is work together. Gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. Today's broadcast is being brought to you by Black and Studios. To learn more about Blacken Studios, please visit them at blackenstudios.com or visit them on their Facebook page, Blacken Studios. Today's broadcast is also being brought to you by Perry Publishing and Broadcasting. To learn more about Perry Publishing and Broadcasting, please visit their website at perrypublishingandbroadcasting.net. The opinions of the One Might One Voice show do not reflect the views of Blacken Studios or Perry Publishing and Broadcasting. Thank you for downloading the One Might One Voice show. We're joined in the studio today, folks. I'm so excited uh, to have in the studio with us Dr. Ed Schmidt, Associate Professor of History at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, my alma mater. And uh, Dr. Schmidt teaches courses um, in uh, U.S. history, African-American history, race and ethnicity, um, and American history, poverty in the U.S., uh, Wisconsin history. Oh, he is a busy, busy professor. And I can tell you, he's a good professor as well. He's also the author of President of the Other America, Robert Kent Kennedy, and the Politics of Poverty. Welcome to the show, Doc. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great, Michael. Thank you for having me on to talk with you in DT, and it's just always good to talk uh, with you. Absolutely. And so, you know, I want to get to this first question here. What you know, you you're doing this work on um, on on Dick Gregory. You're you're that's your current work on a book about the unique role of uh, the activist and humorist, which is Dick Gregory, and the social movements of the 1960s and beyond. So, so why did you decide to do research on uh, Dick Gregory? Uh, great question. <laughs> you know, they would always tell us when I was in grad school that you know you have a good project if, it, um, if you kind of pick up some other ideas for future projects as you go. And at the end of my researching um, things for my first book, I was looking at African-American newspapers in the early 60s, and I kept seeing all these stories about Dick Gregory. And I, I knew, you know, how significant he was as basically the the first um, stand-up comedian to break the color line, kind of the Jackie Robinson of, of stand-up comedy. Uh, and I knew that he, he eventually started becoming part of the civil rights movement, but I didn't I had no idea kind of how omnipresent he was until I started looking at uh, black newspapers from across the country. And all of them, you know, they followed his every move. And there were a lot of moves to follow because he was on the ground joining demonstrations, raising funds um, for the movement, getting arrested, um, putting himself in harm's way. And the the, the obvious pride um that came through in the way that African-American newspapers wrote about him just was, was, was really powerful to me. So I started setting these articles aside and then thought, I need to come back to this. And, and when I did, I found that there had not really been anything academic um, published about him. And I was sort of awestruck by how that hadn't happened and saw an opportunity to, to go forward. And uh, that's where the trail started. And uh, it's, it's been going on for a few years, and it's been endlessly fascinating. Great. Wonderful. Uh, I think one more thing we need, one more thing. We just need to, uh, you know, we, we like to have these uh, endorsements for the show. So uh, if, if, yeah. You, yeah, if, if you don't mind saying something mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm Dr. Ed Schmidt, you know, a professor at uh, University of Parkside. When I listen to podcasts, I always listen to the One Mic, One Voice show. Fight. 